You're listening to the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast, created by the Arthritis Foundation to help people with arthritis and the people who love them live their best lives. If you're dealing with chronic pain, this podcast is for you. You may have arthritis, but it doesn't have you. Here, learn how you can take control of arthritis with tips and ideas from our hosts and guest experts. Welcome to the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast. My name is Dan Hill. I'm going to be your guest host today. I am a military veteran, and today's episode is about veterans and arthritis. Arthritis affects service members at a disproportionate rate. In fact, one in three active or military veterans have doctor-diagnosed arthritis. Often, it's osteoarthritis, which may result from the hard physical toll that military service takes, and the chronic pain that arthritis creates can lead to or amplify other problems, including mental health issues. In this episode, I'm going to talk with Dr. Kimberly Fountain, and we're going to discuss military service and how it can lead to arthritis. Dr. Fountain works at the VA, the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am an exercise physiologist in Maryland and a 20-year veteran, as I mentioned. I am also the Maryland president of a nonprofit called Vetoga. You can find more information at vetoga.org. What we do is provide free yoga and other movement practices to veterans and their families worldwide. But what we do through fundraising is we fund, pay for the education, the training of veterans to become yoga teachers. Today's guest is Dr. Kimberly Fountain. Dr. Fountain, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Please tell us about yourself. I'm Dr. Kimberly Fountain, originally from Atlanta, Georgia. I've had different experiences with different patient populations, including the indigent and deserved. I've worked with inmates, and I've also worked in the private sector as well, and also with veterans. I'm grateful for the services you all provided. And my father also, he's no longer with us, but he's also was a, a Navy veteran. So, um, and so I do, again, I have a personal preference with taking care of veterans and my medical interest lies in primary and preventative care. Awesome. Thank you so much for all that you do for veterans. Why is arthritis an important focus to you and your patients? Arthritis is very common, but it's also a very debilitating condition. And I see that, you know, because there's no cure for, we have to find best ways for patient management. And that varies on a case-by-case basis. And the treatment and management, it varies also from vet to vet based on their background and history. Arthritis can affect other medical conditions, including mental conditions. My job is to make sure that I treat patients with arthritis, but also validate their concerns and provide education for them. I read in our show opening that one in three service members has arthritis. Osteoarthritis is a lot more common among service members than the general population, and it occurs at a younger age. What do we know specifically about post-traumatic osteoarthritis in the military? Why is it so common? There is a lot of repetitive motions that can contribute to trauma, and we see that a lot. And so it's very common because a lot of the drills and a lot of the exercises that service members have to undergo is more intense than that of the lay public. Or, you know, mm-hmm. just a common person. The only other group of people I can attribute that to 
will be athletes, whether, you know, college athletes or professional athletes. And so overuse and trauma, those are the two causes that make it worse. And then, of course, over time, you know, you know, people, even those who have not had these extenuated circumstances can eventually develop arthritis, but it seems to exacerbate and come on earlier for those mm-hmm. who you know undergo intense physical activity. Right. And I like that you related it to athletes because as a strength and conditioning coach, repetition is very important. That's why it's called conditioning, you know, strength and conditioning. And athletes, whether it's in the gym or, or whatever their their sport is, they do a lot of repetitive, you know, they do, they do the same exercise, the same drills over and over again because they need to become proficient at those specific exercises and drills. And it's the same in the military. You know, we train, whether it's push-ups, sit-ups, and run and pull-ups, which, you know, I have my own input on those, or or whether it's jumping in and out of a uh, deuce and a half, you know, which is a uh, personal transport carrier's you know, jumping in and out of those with, you know, 80 pound rucksacks on, you know, we have to jump out of them and do it a hundred times. So we know how to do it the right way, but nobody really teaches us the right way to do these exercises. You Mm -hmm. know, do you ever hear things like that from vets that you work with or patients? That's a very common story, very, very common scenario. It's not unique to any one particular branch. And it's common among women as well as men. Whenever you need help, the Arthritis Foundation's helpline is here for you. Whether it's about insurance coverage, a provider you need help from, or something else, get in touch with us by phone, toll-free, at 800-283-7800. Or send us a message at arthritis.org slash helpline. I found my love for exercise, for movement, for helping others after I was injured in 2003. I broke my back at both of my feet as well as uh, sustaining two traumatic brain injuries. I was told I would never walk again. And of course, I didn't want to accept that news. So I started self-studying at home because I was on convalescent leave for nine or 10 months. And during that time, I self-studied. I did as much reading and self-studying as I could to learn about our physiology and to learn about exercise. And uh, eventually, I became an exercise physiologist. I heard about this through my sister. I heard about Bikram yoga, which is basically a hot yoga, hot, humid yoga. And I was like, that's a great idea. It was 90 minutes in this sauna, basically, doing these physically demanding, exhausting poses. Um, And at the time, I was like, this is a great way to condition myself to move in this environment. So that's uh, how I found yoga to begin with. And I just fell in love with it from there and decided to become a teacher. A lot of veterans, especially the men, you know, you mentioned yoga and they're like, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. And, And so... I stopped really kind of using the word yoga and I I just use the word movement now. So I have a lot of uh, older male clients who do yoga. They just don't know it and they love it. They benefit from it. They're like, when do we get to do the, 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 the stretching and the mobility stuff? We always start with the foundation and usually that involves yoga and breath. So yoga hasn't only you know, changed my flexibility, my strength, my calm and focus has also changed. Have your patients shared with you how they deal with arthritis, you know, especially mentally and emotionally? 
I think for a lot of them, they just suck it up. They just kind of suck it up and keep going because I've been yeah, told that's that what we're taught to do, right? Right. Suck it up and you don't want to appear to be weak. I've never had anyone tell me that they've been advised that, oh, if you continue doing this, you may have arthritis or, oh, if you continue to do this, we need to have you do do this, maybe jump out of a plane or do this drill in such a way that we protect your knees. It sounds like from what I gather, the experience is such that to get through the moment at that time or get through the drill at that time or whatever at that time with no thought or consideration for what future ailments may come as a result of this. I agree. I think the Department of Defense needs to hire some kind of exercise physiologist or a movement coach or somebody that can revamp some of these exercises or at least help us learn how to do them more safely. What do your patients tell you about their biggest challenges from arthritis? What do they say is just the hardest? The biggest challenge is this too. It's just a debilitation and you know limited range of being able to move and also the pain. And it really becomes an issue when I'm dealing with a patient who maybe has other comorbid conditions, such as diabetes or high blood pressure, high cholesterol. These are patients for whom I'm always recommending that they exercise. A lot of times they're dealing with obesity. So, you know, one of the main things I'm trying to do is get them to do some sort of exercise to help with the weight loss. Well, that's very difficult to exercise if you already have joint pain at baseline. And so a lot of them feel like they're in a catch-22 as far as doing those modalities that I recommend to help with weight loss and weight maintenance. Another issue is that many of them may have other advanced disease, such as kidney disease, for which we can't eliminate what we can do for treatment. What I mean by that, there are certain medications that are non-steroidal medicines, such as aspirin or motion to treat their pain, are medications I can't give because this person now has kidney disease. So I have to work on making sure we make, we try our best to maintain their kidneys. And so there are a lot of you know complications that come from that. So I cannot, a lot of times I cannot treat with the basic modalities. Now we deal with the frustration and the mental anguish that comes behind that, which is also the depression. And so now we have baseline depression, but there is a such thing as their depression associated with a baseline medical condition. And I see that all the time. If you're a veteran listening to this, you can probably relate that, you know, being in the military is stressful and and we don't have a lot of patience and everything has to be done at a certain time in a certain way. And, and it's hard to unlearn these things. It's hard to recondition your physiology, let alone your neurology and your, and your brain and how to do something when you've been trained for X amount of years, 20 in my case, to be a certain way, to do a certain thing. In a lot of ways that affects our arthritis too, you know, working within these movement patterns that are not natural for our body, but, you know, we are told that we have to conform to. And yoga changed my life, opened my eyes, not just physically, like I said, but mindfully, emotionally, I became a lot more calm. I became a lot more patient. I became a lot more, you've heard the word mindful, it gets thrown around there a lot, but that's really, you know, being mindful, being focused, being patient, present, calm in your body. Yoga is so good at at creating that flow state because you are so involved in the posture or the pose or the movement that you're doing that you're not thinking about anything else. And that is the whole point, in my opinion, sometimes of finding a good movement practice for therapeutic reasons. One of my mantras is movement is medicine, but it's hard to move when moving hurts. That's right. You know, that's right. That's right. I got to figure out other ways, you know, 
start more with with more gentle movements like uh, rope flow or yoga or anything that you can do from a seated position also helps. But how do they deal? How do your patients deal with these challenges that you mentioned? And, and what medical or other advice do you give them? Very good question. So that's why I say this is a case-by-case situation. There's no set cookie cutter to patient management with these issues. So fortunately, if I have a patient who's healthy enough to tolerate chronic pain medication, we will use that as needed. But even before that, I try to tell them that ironically, like you said, movement is medicine. We got to get you moving. The longer we keep you sedentary and not moving, the worse this condition is going to get. And when you think about something that's chronic, this is something that's ongoing. So I'll tell them just like medicine that you're taking for any other illness, this is something that you got to do for the rest of your life. And the irony of it is I think the easy thing is to pop the pill. That's easy to do. Anybody can get up in the morning and if you remember, take a pill. But a lot of times the, the other part of this component for treatment is physical therapy. You would be surprised at the pushback that I get from some veterans or patients in general who think, oh, that's physical therapy. That's not going to help me. And the problem with that is because I tell them this is a chronic disorder. You did not get here overnight. You're not, we're not going to fix this overnight. And so you will not see instant gratification with physical therapy, but it is part of the ongoing process that is necessary to get you to a baseline where you can deal with this for the rest of your life. And then as we get older, there are other conditions that we acquire, such as obesity, such as high blood pressure, such as diabetes, that further complicate some of these chronic issues and make it that much more challenging. But it's not impossible. And that's why it's very important for patients to realize that, but also to have a support system to help them get through it. Other issues also such as depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. PTSD. Mm -hmm. If you're a military veteran or active service member, we've got support, tips, and resources that can help you take control of arthritis symptoms and challenges. Get the help you need from experts you can trust at arthritis.org slash military. I feel like veterans, male veterans especially, have a hard time advocating for themselves. Mm -hmm. And with all of this physical pain, of course, that translates to mental health fitness as well. And mm-hmm. man, I'm, I'm just going to say it. Most of us are stubborn and we're not going to show any signs of weakness. We're not going to advocate for ourselves. Do you see that being a recurring issue mm-hmm. with, with your patients? Yes, I do. It is a very, yes, a very real issue. A lot of times they almost get to where they, they only do something about it when it just gets absolutely unbearable. And another issue when I think about arthritis and, and depression, for example, because it's not things that people can physically see. A lot of times people don't, I won't say they don't take it seriously, but for lack of a better term, that's the case. Other than the x-ray, a lot of times you can't just see arthritis on someone. A lot of times the pain goes way deeper than what we can see. You can't even always see depression. Many times people will suppress their depression or pretend not to have it because of the reason they don't want to appear weak. And so a lot of times you're right, whether the person is not advocating for themselves, it makes it hard for someone else to advocate for them. And then the culture, like you said, being in the military, you're taught, to just suck it up or just deal with it. Yeah, you don't want to be the weak link. Mm-hmm. And the irony of it is you're most likely not the only one dealing with it. And maybe if someone else spoke up, it may allow other service people to speak up, but no one you are, wants to be the first one. 
there's a common quote that says, not all wounds are visible. And that's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Depression is not visible. You know, not all wounds are visible. A lot of people fake being happy to cover depression, but I've never met anyone that faked being Mm -hmm. depressed. You cannot judge someone by the outside or, you know, socially. Agreed. And unfortunately, those who are depressed enough to be suicidal and those who are unfortunately successful at their suicide attempts, that's when the first thing you hear people say, wow, I didn't know he was that depressed. Wow, I didn't know she was that depressed. Well, no, she's not wearing a tattoo on her forehead saying I'm depressed and suicidal. Most people don't want to advertise that. My mantra is depression has a hard time with a moving target. So keep your bodies moving and that keeps your mind or your mental health, your mental fitness, that keeps that strong too, because movement is the best medicine. One of the things I always start with when I have a new client, especially one with arthritis, is breathing techniques, how to calm the mind, how to just be mindful and present in your own body and realize what's going on. Just being mindful. Half the time, people don't know there's a problem until somebody Mm -hmm. else points it out. You know, mm-hmm. um, so do you ever mention or do you know anything about breathing practices, breath exercises? Honestly, not as much as I should. I've never even considered my breathing exercises as a mode of therapy. And part of the reason why is because, you know, I really wonder if I tell a veteran, well, let's do some breathing exercises. Let's try. I, I can see somebody laughing at me or just being totally non-receptive. They're like, I know how to breathe. I don't need any help breathing. It's not my breathing. That's the problem. It's my Knees, that's the problem. It's my feet, that's the problem. But it's funny you mentioned that. I was working with a psychiatrist for myself, and it's been brought up that I want to do some yoga, do some training. And the first thing I, I remember telling her, ma'am, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to be doing all that. I just got to get better. Uh, I got to take care of my patients. Well, you know, and she's trying to convince me, well, maybe this will be something that helps you. And in my mind, I'm just thinking of all the million and one things I have to do. And so I honestly... Because I cannot, I have not done that for myself. I find it hard to convince Mm -hmm. my patients to do it, you know, because it's hard to convince people of things that you haven't done for yourself. And so I have not even pushed that as an option. And and perhaps that's something I need to consider. That makes me think, too, is I'm out here trying to help all these veterans by teaching them how to move, teaching them how to breathe, teaching them how to do yoga. And of course, just like you said, they're not too receptive until right. the doctor until the doctor says, hey, you're going to die if you don't start exercising. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's when they start hiring personal trainers. And unfortunately, it's, it's too late. Right. maybe I should stop targeting or, or looking for the patients, the veterans, the arthritis sufferers. Maybe I should start teaching the doctors and the other advocates Mm -hmm. how Mm -hmm. to breathe and how to do yoga and how to do controlled articular rotations, you know, because like you said, you don't feel comfortable talking to your patients about it because you have not been through it yourself. So you don't feel like, but then of course, like you said too, doctors don't have the time for an extra 10 or 15 minutes a day, but you know, learning how to breathe, it doesn't only just change your physical, your physiology, but it changes your mental health as well. Learning how to breathe is the first thing I teach people, whether it's you know, before we start moving or before we start meditating. It is the gateway to just taking control of your own mind body, as they say. Mm-hmm. I recently attended a VA-sponsored conference at the VA in Orlando where they talk about physical therapists as part of the basic PAT team for patients. And one of the things that they talked about is they had it set up where 
you know, physical therapists would be easily available for primary care providers with respect to helping patients. So when they were talking about, oh, how good it is and how they can convince their patients to do physical therapy, I'm like, well, I guess you can if within their 15-minute encounter, there's a physical therapist two doors down the hall for whom you can get them face-to-face with that patient to discuss whatever modalities you recommend. I don't have that luxury. It's kind of hard when it's remote and they can't see visually how this is going to help them. A lot of veterans and people in general, before they just buy into what you say, you got to convince people. Yeah. I mean, the hardest part is always just getting people to follow through. Mm -hmm. If someone comes into my gym, I can give them a great workout. But if they don't have the discipline to come back, they're not going to come back. It's the ones that have done it repetitively for a couple months that now are conditioned now are addicted to working out, to fitness, that are going to keep coming back. So that's the hardest part, I think, is getting people started, you know, getting people to have the discipline or the accountability to actually start, whether it's a a medical prescription or a workout program or or even just a couple of stretches at home that are going to take five minutes. Nobody's going to follow through with that. Mm -hmm. It's interesting you said it because even with my patients who are, like I said, who are diabetic, who have high blood pressure, who are, you know, a lot of the time I say, you are your own driver. I'm going to give you the tools and now you, you have got to take these tools home and implement them. Sometimes it's, it's not enough to just say this is bad. You know, it, sometimes you have to give people a reason and that takes education. A lot of times patients need to have some sort of background information as to why this modality is helpful or why they should do this as far as their training or why they should exercise. Everybody just knows in general, oh, exercise is good. But sometimes they need to, to realize this is what happens when you don't exercise. And what, right. I, what I try to do is educate them on that before they start having some of the ailments or the complications or the results of not exercising. And sometimes it's, by the time they come to me, it's too late. By that time, you got a person with arthritis, with poor blood sugar levels. Or poor, right now, I've got a couple of veterans who need knee replacements and have talked to surgeons but because their diabetes is not in control, they're not surgical candidates or they're too high of a risk. Yeah. Same thing in the gym. You know, I have people do all these exercises, you know, with very light weights and we're doing all of these shoulder or hip mobility exercises that don't look very hard. But, you know, those are the ones that they usually need the most. Mm-hmm. And it's only through repetition. You know, they're like, why do I need right. to put my hands over my head? I never, ever need to do this, you know, as an example. And it's like, because right. if you don't, your body's going to think, oh, I guess we don't need that range of motion. Let's turn that's it right. off. We don't need it anymore. And that's how you get frozen shoulder and you lose rate mobility. And, and you got to keep that synovial fluid moving around. You got to keep all of your joints moving to keep that arthritis at bay. A lot of times, a lot of the pushback, is because a lot of times people don't feel like they're in control. They feel hopeless, but it's not always a hopeless situation. They just don't realize where the power lies and what power they do have to make their conditions better. And so what I try to do is help them realize that. That's awesome. Thank you so much. You know, what I see is uh, we're doing a great job trying to help people who uh, have arthritis who already suffer from this chronic pain. But what I see as being a bigger problem is, is how about instead of focusing on rehabilitation, we focus on prehabilitation, right? Preventative care, you know? Yeah. And um, I think the military could do a better job at, yes. at, uh, at preventative care to make it more acceptable, to make it more ingrained into our physiology. But I think we need to focus more on the joint mobility care to prevent 
our veterans and everybody, obviously, but you know, our veterans from getting arthritis. Do you have an opinion on how we could introduce or, or make this more acceptable? That's a good question. I think the one thing to, to make that more acceptable is to stress the statistics that we're dealing with now to demonstrate now that, you know, without this intervention for preventive care, this is what we deal with. So then what can we do to minimize the number of patients who are dealing with arthritis and minimize the severity to which they deal with it? But you're right. If there's something that we can do to prevent your arthritis from being severe in the first place during the time you're actually doing PT or during the time you're actually still a youth in the military, why not capitalize on it at that time so that perhaps this won't be as big an issue for you at 55 as opposed to 25. The Arthritis Foundation's Live Yes Connect groups are empowering support groups that bring people together for informative events and engaging activities. Peer-run and volunteer-led, they offer a place of understanding and encouragement and cover all kinds of topics. Find a group that matches your interests at connectgroups.arthritis.org. Before every episode, we post a question on social media. For this episode, we asked, if you are or have been in the military, how do your challenges of living with arthritis differ from those of civilians with arthritis? The first answer we have here, Dr. Fountain, is uh, I dealt with chronic fatigue and pain for years, and no one in the VA system took me seriously. At best, they prescribed me Motrin. At worst, they accused me of seeking drugs. I felt helpless, and my life came to a halt this year when the pain became unbearable. My PCP didn't listen to me, didn't advocate for me, and actively tried to stop me from seeking answers. I finally received a referral to a rheumatologist and received a diagnosis two months later. When my rheumatologist gave me an initial exam and told me that she believed me, I broke down in tears. Unfortunately, my story is very typical for American vets. No one should ever be shamed for seeking help. I agree, Dr. Fountain. Do you have anything to add to that? I didn't gather from what you told me that this doctor validated this patient's feelings. Most of the times you got to just start somewhere and validate what they're feeling, validate their concerns. Don't just think everybody's drug seeking. I need to validate what you're saying to say, wow, this must be you know, painful for you. This is, you know, this is really a, a real issue. And so, yeah, this patient probably broke down and cried because for so long they didn't even have anybody who they could relate to to validate what they were feeling. Yeah, and as a veteran, I can I can relate to this. I've had similar yeah. experiences, which I'll talk about in a second. But first, reading it, it, it gave me the impression that they were having a hard time getting a referral or having their PCP, you know, refer them to any kind of specialist. Is that common? Right, right. Well, I will say this. Osteoarthritis in general, initially treated by PCP. However, if the treatments and modalities I give you from a PCP standpoint get to the point where that's not enough, then you refer to a specialist, but not it's, a specialist is not always indicated. Mm-hmm. I don't call a specialist until and unless I offer a certain modalities. We try to give those modalities an opportunity to work. And once we get to the point where they don't work, then that's when I call a specialist. But if you're just brushing a patient off, not treating them, not validating their, their illness, you don't even get to that point yet. 
Right. I know that there's a process, there's an order of, you know, steps that you have to follow. And right. it doesn't, it's not, it's not clear in how in here, how long it took them to get to the rheumatologist. Right. And it's a case by case. Right. We like to sum up every episode with top three takeaways. Dr. Fountain, do you have, or what are your top three takeaways from our conversation? Number one, as you know, let the veterans know that, or patients in general know, to first of all, seek help if you need it, for whatever it is, whether it's for arthritis, whether it's for depression, or whether seek that help that you need. Because until you come to us, I wouldn't know that you're having an issue. The second thing is on our part as a provider, as, as a doctor, is once the veteran comes to me, I need to validate their feelings and validate their concerns and try to devise a customized treatment plan for that particular veteran. And then the third thing is for us to work together as a team, the veteran and myself as a team, and any other support, part of that support, whether it be there's other additional family members or other special medicine specialties that um, we recruit to help so that we can have a long-term plan for dealing with their comorbid conditions. Thank you. Those are great takeaways. I would have to say my first one is movement is medicine. But like we talked about, sometimes, you know, moving is hard when it hurts. Mm -hmm. uh, so you got to find something that works for you. Start where you're at with what you have and and just learn how to move. And if any kind of gentle movement is still painful or hard, I would start with breathing, which you should be starting with breathing anyway. Breathing is also exercise. Breathing is also meditation. Breathing is mindfulness. Breathing is taking the parking brake off. That would probably be my first takeaway that, I, that I'd want listeners to walk away with. The second is advocate for yourself. No one's coming to help you. No one is just out there looking for people to help. You have to help yourself. You have to ask for help. You have to do what these people who are helping you instruct you to do. And uh, third is probably a prehab. Learn how to move before it hurts. Learn how to move before you have arthritis. Learn how to move before mm -hmm. you experience trauma that's going to make it harder for you to move when you get older. Those would be, you know, in three nutshells, my three takeaways. Dr. Fountain, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This has been an honor and a privilege to have this conversation and to share some of my experiences, but also to learn from your experience as well. And I will keep these in mind, you know, as I move forward in helping my veteran with arthritis as well as other chronic diseases. I look forward to other additional opportunities in the future. We appreciate you. The Live Yes with Arthritis podcast is independently produced by the Arthritis Foundation. This podcast aims to help people living with arthritis and chronic pain live their best life. People like you. For a transcript and show notes, go to arthritis.org slash podcast. Subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And stay in touch.